We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go, episode 177 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, October 29th, 2021, Halloween weekend, 2021. Are you dressing up for Halloween? What are you dressing up as for Halloween? I don't know if I'm dressing up for Halloween. The Washington football team's game at the Denver Broncos will be taking place as trick-or-treating is taking place because the game, of course, is Sunday afternoon at 425. Sunday is October 31st, i.e. Halloween. And for some reason, our neighborhood is doing trick-or-treating on Sunday evening. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hey, Galdi, that is Halloween. True that. But would Saturday evening not make more sense than Sunday evening? Uh, that to me would be the way to go. But anyway, I don't run the neighborhood. I am not the president of the HOA, uh, nor will I ever be the president of the HOA. I have no interest in ever partaking in a role like that one. God bless those who do. I actually wanted, though, to go out trick-or-treating with my four-year-old son, especially off the fractured left elbow that was suffered this week. He has not yet been placed on the reserve injured list. He's like Curtis Samuel. He remains off the reserve injured list. Uh, But yeah, I'll be watching Washington at Denver uh, tied at 12 in the fourth quarter on Sunday evening. I've actually had some good Halloween costumes over the years. I was one of the three amigos as a kid. That was a good costume. Uh, I was Gary Clark one year. Were a killer Redskins uniform. I was Kevin Hatcher one year when trick-or-treating with a hockey stick. What will be the best sports-themed costumes this year? Like, will anybody be dressing up as Dan Snyder? Is that even a thing at Halloween? 
this year. What about Bruce Allen's emails? Is there a costume that we could put together that would make it so that you're dressed up as Bruce Allen's emails? I don't know. But anyway, hello and welcome to a Football Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. In-depth preview on this show, the likes of which you will not get anywhere else for the 2-5 and five Washington football team's game at the 3-4 and four Denver Broncos this Sunday afternoon. Washington has totaled just 23 points over the last two games. Not good enough. Next segment, I'll take you through the latest on injuries for Washington's banged-up offense and examine two things that must be improved upon in order for the scoring to pick up off comments from offensive coordinator Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon. I will be discussing Washington's defense, including some scheduled fun, off comments from defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio on Thursday afternoon. I'll be doing some Chase Young talk as well. Special guest, Denver Broncos insider Zach Stevens of the DNVR.com. He is the host of the DNVR Broncos podcast. He's really good. He'll tell us all we need know about the Broncos. And I have for you my rhyming keys for a Washington win at Denver. And boy, does Washington need this win at Denver. And I'll give you a prediction for the game as well. Also, college football. I'll give you my Goldilocks for College football, week nine, picks against the spreads for Maryland, Indiana, Virginia, BYU, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, and Navy Tulsa. And I'll postgame another win for the Wizards, maybe their most impressive win of the season yet, a 122-111 win over the Atlanta Hawks at Capital One Arena on Thursday night, despite the Wizards being without Spencer Dinwiddie and Daniel Gafford and remaining without Rui Hachimura and Thomas Bryant. The Wizards were without four key players and yet still handily defeated the Hawks, who, remember, were in the Eastern Conference Finals last season. Wes Unsell Jr. and his team are 4-1. and one. Who are these Wizards? The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, that team, our team. Uh, I owe you guys a thank you for your continued support of this podcast, which remains top 100 in the country in Apple Podcasts, U.S. football category. You know, the U.S. football category for Apple Podcasts is an ultra-competitive category. That category is a fire pit, man. A lot of heavyweights, and yet this pod is right there in the mix, battling with the big boys. Means a lot. Uh, I appreciate all of you for listening and downloading and subscribing. Uh, If you don't already subscribe, please consider doing so. Subscribing costs you nothing and ensures that you never miss an episode of the podcast. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Josh on me calling Sunday's game for Washington at Denver a code red game on Thursday's show, episode 176. Writes Josh, quite simply, thanks for making the call. You're welcome, Josh. You're welcome. That's critical. It's uh, code red for us. Yes, Jay. Code red. Uh, Email from Stanley Evans on the Washington football team. Right, Stanley, when you hear Baltimore Ravens, you think of Lamar Jackson and their running game. When you hear Arizona Cardinals, you think of Kyler Murray and a high-powered offense. Uh, Yes, you do, Stanley, although not so high-powered was the offense on Thursday Night Football. What a game, by the way. Green Bay Packers winning at the Arizona Cardinals 24-21. Each team now 7-1. Continues, Stanley. 
When you hear the Washington football team, you think of Dan Snyder, lawsuits, scandals, overrated defense, and a top five pick in the draft. It's embarrassing as a fan, but I can't help but stay a fan. We keep hearing promises upon promises from new guys like Jason Wright and Ron Rivera, but we keep having that sour taste in our mouths. I have no idea what direction they're going or want to go in. Is a franchise quarterback really the only way to get out of this black hole? Well, Stanley, a franchise quarterback is the best, most likely way to get us out of this black hole, at least from an on the field standpoint. I mean, a franchise quarterback can't fix things like the team having a workplace misconduct scandal or the team having hired a head athletic trainer who now is being investigated by the DEA or the team having screwed up the retirement of Sean Taylor's number 21. But a true, legit stud franchise quarterback would mean everything for the on the field product. By the way, this is one of the pains of this season. And this came up during my conversation with Washington football team insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington on Wednesday's show, episode 175. Ron Rivera's plan of the defense being really good and the playmakers being really good to where all Washington needed was a decent quarterback has failed miserably so far this season. Now, Ron does want a true stud franchise quarterback. It was never like Ron was not interested in a true stud franchise quarterback. But this idea of especially the defense leading the way this season, you know, the defense carrying the team this season has been a flop. The defense has gotten in the way far more than the defense has led the way. And this flop has only reinforced this idea of Washington needing a true franchise quarterback to lead the way. It may well be antiquated thinking in 2021 to have a defense-first approach. I mean, look at the eight division leaders in the NFL right now. Dallas Cowboys, Green Bay Packers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Arizona Cardinals, Buffalo Bills, Cincinnati Bengals, Tennessee Titans, Las Vegas Raiders. Seven of the eight teams have true franchise quarterbacks, and Ryan Tannehill has played like a franchise quarterback for the Titans over the last three seasons, certainly the previous two seasons, 2019 and 2020, and six of the eight teams have offensive-minded head coaches right now, and really seven of the eight teams, because John Gruden was an offensive-minded head coach for the Raiders before the uh, leaked Bruce Allen emails. Did in, old Johnny boy. Well, do not let yourself be done in by a real estate agent who doesn't do a good job of selling your home and rips you off in terms of the commission. You don't deserve that. Don't put up with that. Instead, call John Grandland of Real Broker because he offers commission flex. Listen up if you're looking to sell your home. The days of some flat commission rate, regardless of how easy it is to sell your home, are done. John G. is changing the game with his groundbreaking concept of commission flex. You know how Ron Rivera likes to talk about position flex? Position flex. Yes, Ron. Position flex. Well, John Grenland offers commission flex. What is commission flex, you ask? It's simple. Flexible commission rates. You see, not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees? 
John Granlin will put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. John Granlin has a menu of commission packages from which you can choose, including selling your home for free. Yeah, you heard that right. For free, zero commission. Some conditions do apply. But interviewing John Granlin is an absolute no-brainer. He can buy your house and give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly and there is never any obligation to list or sell. So if you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and aren't satisfied with how things are going, if you're even just thinking about selling your home, do yourself a favor and call John Grandlin. This is a phone call that could make and or save you tens of thousands of dollars. You have nothing to lose. John's a great guy. He's a big Washington football team fan. And most importantly, he understands the real estate market in the DMV. Call John Grandlin now, 703-537-6747. When you talk to John G., make sure that you tell him that Al Galdi sent you and make sure that you ask John G. about what you keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast, Commission Flex. That phone number again, 703-537-6747, or visit johngsellsforfree.com. That's johngsellsforfree.com. John Grandlin, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, he is the originator of Commission Flex. Position Flex. Yes, Ron, just like Position Flex. All right, the two and five Washington football team will be at the three and four Denver Broncos this Sunday afternoon at 425. Right now, let's get into what's going on with Washington's offense. Next segment will deal with the defense. So first, the injuries for Washington's offense. Brandon Sheriff on Thursday was a limited participant in practice for a second consecutive day. Good news. Now, this doesn't guarantee that he'll be back playing on Sunday, but this is a good sign. Sheriff has been inactive for each of the last three games due to a knee injury. Cam Sims on Thursday was a limited participant in practice for a second consecutive day. He too could be back playing on Sunday. Cam has been inactive for each of the last three games due to a hamstring. Some more good news. Terry McLaurin was a full participant in practice on Thursday of having not practiced on Wednesday. He has been dealing with a hamstring. Ricky Seals-Jones was a full participant in practice on Thursday of having been limited on Wednesday. He's dealing with a quad. Wes Schweitzer was a limited participant in practice on Thursday of having not practiced on Wednesday. He's dealing with a neck ailment. Also, Antonio Gibson on Thursday was a limited participant in practice for a second consecutive day as he deals with a shin. The bad news, Curtis Samuel, Samuel Cosme, and Deami Brown all did not practice on Thursday for a second consecutive day. Samuel has played in just two games this season due to this groin injury from hell. And you really have to ask the question right now why he isn't on the reserve injured list. Cosme has been inactive for each of the last two games due to an ankle injury, and Brown is dealing with a knee, which in the 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers last Sunday afternoon limited him to playing on just 14% of Washington's offensive snaps. So it would appear as if Washington is likely to be without at least Samuel Cosme 
and Brown. Again, with Samuel, this is really aggravating. Not just him continually not playing, but him taking up a spot on Washington's 53-man roster. I get that the hope is that each week is the week that Curtis Samuel is healthy enough to play again, but that's not happening. And this groin is ultra-sensitive to where him playing in back-to-back games was a problem. He made his Washington debut in the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four, was on a pitch count, exceeded the pitch count, and then Samuel's groin injury acted up in the loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field in week five. Samuel in that game played on just five of Washington's offensive snaps, and he hasn't played since. Uh, All right, the Broncos defense, not good. And the Broncos defense is banged up. So the Broncos through week seven per football outsiders DVOA metric were just 26th in the NFL in total defense, just 24th in the NFL in pass defense, and just 26th in the NFL in run defense. Edge rusher Von Miller did not practice on Thursday for a second consecutive day due to an ankle. Interior defensive lineman Mike Purcell did not practice on Thursday for a second consecutive day due to a thumb. Washington should be able to move the ball and score points on Sunday. Of course, we have said this before, and these things didn't happen nearly to the extent that they should have happened. The loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field in Week 6 comes to mind. Washington has totaled just 45 points during this current three-game losing streak, including just 23 points over the last two games. There are two things that Washington's offense has got to improve on in order to start scoring more points. The first one is be better in the red zone. Washington through week seven was tied with the Broncos actually for 28th out of 32 NFL teams in red zone touchdown scoring percentage at 50. Yeah, 50. That's your red zone percentage this season for the Washington football team. Washington this season is just 10 of 20 in the red zone. Not good. Washington in the loss at the Packers, 0 of 4 in the red zone against the Packers defense against which opposing teams had been 15 of 15 in the red zone this season. Again, not good. Offensive coordinator Scott Turner on Thursday did his weekly post-practice press conference. Here was Scott on Washington's red zone struggles. Um, you know, we just got to make sure that we know exactly, you know, what we need to do and we got to execute down there. Um, I continue to look at like different things that I can do uh, to put our guys in the best position uh, to make plays. But, you know, we had some opportunities and, you know, we just didn't quite make the most of them. It's really a, a, an upsetting feeling. It's always an upsetting feeling when you lose, but even maybe more so uh, on the flight back after that game because of you know, we did move the ball, but really it doesn't matter. Like, you know, the yards or the yards player, that doesn't like the we, the point of the offense is to score. And we did not do that, you know, and ultimately that cost our team. And that's a it's a tough, tough feeling. Yes, it is for all of us. Uh, the second thing that Washington's offense has got to improve on in order to start scoring more points is turnovers. And two guys who stand out in this regard are Taylor Heineke and Antonio Gibson. Washington through week seven was tied for having the fifth most giveaways in the NFL with 11. Taylor Heineke has seven interceptions over seven games this season. In today's NFL, averaging an interception per game is not good. That's not the way things are supposed to be now. 
Heineke has got to cut down on throwing interceptable passes, which of course lead to actual interceptions. Heineke has been good for at least one bad interception per game. That needs to stop. You know, whatever you think about Heineke, here's the truth. If he just cut down on the bad interceptions, he would be viewed as a much better quarterback. Now, the interceptions are a result of interceptable passes, which are a result of bad decisions and inaccurate throws. So interceptions are a function of a variety of flaws. But the bad interceptions are the number one negative aspect of Heineke's game. I know that people love to bring up his lack of arm strength. I think that arm strength is overrated. You know, what matters is whether you can make all of the requisite throws. And he can do that. Now, does he always throw a beautiful ball? No. Is it nice to have great arm strength? Of course. But plenty of good quarterbacks have overcome having mediocre arm strength. They've done so with accuracy, ball placement, timing, decision making. Heineke is capable of doing all of those things well. Arm strength is overrated. Again, it's nice if you have it, but it's not a must in terms of being a good NFL quarterback. I mean, Dwayne Haskins has great arm strength. Ron Rivera used to tell us that all of the time. What did that end up meaning? Nothing. Kyle Bowler had great arm strength. So what? Didn't mean anything. But another aspect of Washington's turnovers is Antonio Gibson's fumbling. Gibson and the loss at the Packers committed his fourth fumble in seven games this season. Third quarter, first and 10 at the Packers 11. Gibson had a fumble on a five-yard under center handoff run. The ball was initially ruled to have been recovered by safety and Maryland product Darnell Savage. Rod Rivera challenged the play. The ruling was correctly changed to Chase Roulier having recovered the football. But that Washington recovered that fumble doesn't matter. That was still a fumble by Gibson in the red zone. Scott Turner on Thursday with his take on Gibson's fumbling problem. Ball security is obviously very important. Um, and the unfortunate thing, like in this league, when you put the ball on the ground, you get, it's like you put a target on your chest. And, and defenders know that, you know. So, you know, they, they even, and they always try to knock it out, but it's even more so, you know, um, once things like that start to happen. Um, it's just the discipline of consistent, like quality ball security. And um, there's a lot of things we talk about uh, as far as what that looks like. Um, you know, the points of pressure and the, the vertical ball and, you know, tight to your chest. And you cannot relax on those things because, you know, obviously you see what happened. And it's something that, um, you know, it's obviously not acceptable. And uh, he's working on it, uh, but he's got he's to improve that. And he, we can't, you know, we can't put the ball on the ground um, because we possessions are valuable and opportunities to score points are valuable. and We can't give them away. No, you can't. Is Gibson's fumbling problem a function of him being a converted receiver? I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe. I mean, he still carried the ball, you know, carrying the ball in traffic. You know what I mean? Uh, That's a little bit different. He's had a lot of he's had a lot of reps, though, you know, even over the past these past couple years, you know, and and to me, like, he knows better. He's shown good examples of it. So, like, he, he's fully capable and strong enough and everything like that. So that, you know, he can't, he just can't relax. You know, you can't relax in those situations. Now, we know that baseball players can get the yips in terms of throwing. What about Gibson's fumbling potentially messing with his mind? 
No, it absolutely does. I mean, that stuff starts to happen, and then you some I've seen guys, and then they just all they think about is that. You know what I mean? And it takes off other, you know, other aspects of the game. Obviously, it's the most important thing. It doesn't matter what he's doing if he's not holding on to the ball. Uh, but that's something that he's just got to work through and, and get over. Yes, he does. Washington is not good enough on offense to keep turning the ball over as Washington is. The NFL is a league of offense, a league of scoring points. You can talk up defense all you want to sound tough, but the good teams by and large are very good offensive teams. Washington needs to be better offensively. There's no question about that. Well, if you have questions or concerns regarding your skin, contact Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The health of your skin matters. Skin cancer, in fact, is the most common of all cancers. And Dr. Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Washington football team fan and listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. And specific to skin cancer treatment, the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offers something very special and cutting-edge, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is revolutionary. It's a non-surgical skin cancer treatment that's safe and effective. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and a downtime and side effects that go with surgery. You have options. Understand that a non-surgical option in SRT is available. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401, or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's MidAtlanticSkin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. All right, we continue the Washington football team conversation right now in preparation for the Sunday afternoon's game at the Denver Broncos at 425. And let us talk Washington's defense. So William Jackson III on Thursday was limited in practice for a second consecutive day due to the knee that had him inactive for the 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers last Sunday afternoon. Jackson has been the only defensive player on Washington's active roster to not fully practice this week. The defense remains very healthy. Injuries are not an excuse for this Washington defense having been as bad as it has been. Now, as I talked about on Thursday's show, episode 176, I have very little appetite for this narrative this week that Washington's defense has been better over the last few games. Yes, there have been some positives for Washington defensively recently. I'm not blind to that. But the defense still has not been that good, okay? Washington, in its loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field in Week 6, allowed the Chiefs to go 11 of 17 on third downs. 
Washington, in its loss at the Packers last Sunday afternoon, allowed the Pack to go 6 of 12 on third downs. Washington's opponents over the last two games are 17 of 29 on third downs. I'm sorry. I'm not celebrating that. Uh, Defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio on Thursday did his weekly post-practice press conference. Here he was on how he felt his secondary performed in the loss at the Packers with William Jackson III inactive. I thought Juice did a nice job stepping in, stepping up. Uh, Danny Johnson was called on, uh, came in and did a nice job for us. So, you know, that's that's kind of the mantra. I mean, it's, it's not just here. It's throughout the league. Things happen. And, um, and, and you're called on people that are typically in backup roles to play, you know, frontline roles. So I, I thought our guys played pretty well. Um, it wasn't perfect, but... Uh, uh, certainly, uh, the, the energy, the effort, the commitment, uh, the determination, and the fight was all there, and that's that's what we're looking for. I mean, to me, it it felt a little more like what we're looking for, you know. And um, we just want to see it more consistently as we finish the year. Yes, we do. Now, you heard Jack mention Danny Johnson. So Danny Johnson in the loss at the Packers played for Washington defensively in a regular season game for the first time since December 2019. And he played quite a bit. Uh, Johnson on Sunday played on 61% of Washington's defensive snaps. And he had his moments. First quarter, Danny Johnson made a big tackle on an Aaron Rodgers third and three shotgun completion to running back Aaron Jones for no gain. Third quarter, Danny Johnson had a forced fumble. Uh, The Packers did recover the fumble, but Johnson tackled running back A.J. Dillon and dislodged the football on an Aaron Rodgers third and seven four-yard shotgun completion to Dillon. But Johnson also got beat. Aaron Rodgers third and five ten-yard shotgun back shoulder throw touchdown pass to receiver Alan Lazard with 15 seconds left in the second quarter came via Lazard beating Johnson. And earlier on that drive, Washington gave up an Aaron Rodgers third and two 13-yard Shotgun completion to Lazard, who beat Johnson. I want to play this for you from Jack Del Rio's presser on Thursday. So as you likely know, I am a big fan of these Jack Del Rio press conferences. They are unintentionally hilarious because of the way that Jack is. Take a listen to this Q&A with Washington football team insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington. Jack, you mentioned that you liked what you saw out of Danny Johnson in Green Bay. Yeah. Do you have to figure out a way to keep him on the field if, if William Jackson's back this week against Denver? Uh, no. We don't have to find a, a way to keep him on the field, but certainly um, appreciated the fact that he was prepared, went in, and, and, and did a solid job for us. So, um, no, we'll, we'll play the guy, the, you know, the best combination of guys we think we can and, um, and try and play to their strengths. <laughs> okay, so I love that exchange right there. Hey, Jack. Do you have to figure out a way to keep Danny Johnson on the field if William Jackson is back? You know, a question that allowed for Jack to sing the praises of Danny Johnson. And instead, Jack is like, uh, no. Brutal honesty from Jack Del Rio. Jack, you mentioned that you liked what you saw out of Danny Johnson in Green Bay. Yeah. Do you have to figure out a way to keep him on the field if, if William Jackson's back this week against Denver? Uh, no. Yeah, there you go. Uh, no. (laughs) I love that. JDR telling it like it is. But the way that people are talking about Washington's defense this week is not telling it like it is. 
Uh, the way that people are talking about Washington's defense this week so highlights how far the bar for this defense has dropped. I feel like people are sick of criticizing the defense. or are sick of focusing on the negative with the defense. And so this stuff about the defense being better is like a way to freshen up the conversation. Don't get sucked into this. Yes, there have been some positives in recent games, and I'm all for being positive. I'm not a negative person, but the overall output from this Washington defense still is not close to being good enough. And this improvement, to whatever extent it exists, is all relative, man. Washington through week seven for Football Outsiders DVOA metric was just 28th in the NFL in total defense, just 29th in the NFL in pass defense. Now, the run defense has been good, as I've talked about. Washington through week seven per DVOA, eighth in the NFL in run defense. So right there is a positive. What about Chase Young? The Chase Young issue remains, and the Chase Young issue is complicated. So his sack total for the season is one and a half. That is, of course, a major disappointment, even conceding that sacks are not the end-all be-all for edge rushers. Uh, Chase has made very few game-changing plays. I mean, the only one that really stands out is the sack strip in the loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field in Week 5. Now, some of Chase's advanced stats are good. Like, for instance, Chase Young through Week 7 was number 6 among all qualified edge rushers in the NFL in run-stop win rate per ESPN and the NFL's next-gen stats. That's impressive. That matters. That's good. But people want Chase Young to be a havoc wreaker. I want Chase Young to be a havoc wreaker, and he has not been that so far this season. And the fact that he has been a part of a defense that overall has been bad makes him look even worse. Now, the Broncos, of course, have an elite edge rusher in Von Miller. Von, in his second NFL regular season, 2012, had 18 and a half sacks. This season, of course, is Chase Young's second NFL regular season. He is not having the kind of bust out in terms of sacks that Von Miller had in his second NFL regular season. Jack Del Rio coached Von during Jack's time as Broncos defensive coordinator, 2012 through 2014. Here was Jack on Thursday on Chase, uh, we think, because Jack late in the cut says Montez, as in Montez Sweat, not Chase. Take a listen. Yeah, we had a similar occurrence with Khalil in, in uh, Oakland. Um, you know, it starts with talent, starts with talented players, and, you know, trying to put them in, in position to go forward more often and refine their skills as, as pass rushers. And I think uh, in each of those cases, that's what's occurred. And I think, you know, you're seeing Montez uh, continuing to come on, and uh, I anticipate him, you know, you know continuing to grow as the year goes on and, and becoming a real force. Okay, well, still not sure (laughs) if Jack was talking about Chase Young or Montez Sweat. Jack was asked about Chase Young. Uh, Here was more from Jack. And sacks come in bunches, you know, so guys guys are working hard, uh, Chase and Sweat and the whole group. But, um, yeah, I mean, heck, Khalil went out and got five in one game. So um, somebody somebody around the league is getting three every week. And uh, love to see one of our guys get that. Yes, I'll second that. Uh, This whole thing with sacks is not complicated. You can't just go by sacks when judging edge rushers. I think most people understand that by now. But you also shouldn't just ignore sacks, you know? 
it's not an either or thing of like you either fully embrace sacks or you completely ignore sacks. Like, no, you look at sacks. You just don't let sacks be the end all be all in terms of what you think of an edge rusher. One and a half sacks for Chase Young this season is a way too low total, especially when you look around the NFL and see that plenty of good edge rushers get sacks. You know, Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns has nine and a half sacks. TJ Watt of the Pittsburgh Steelers has seven sacks. The idea that there's zero correlation between sacks and good edge rushers isn't true. We know that Chase Young can be a very good edge rusher. I believe eventually the sacks will come. But you know what? As this season goes on and the sacks do not come, and we continue to watch this Washington defense underperform, and we continue to see a true lack of game-changing, havoc-wreaking plays from Chase Young, it's not wrong to wonder about the kind of season that Chase Young is having and why he is having this kind of season. Well, how likely is Chase Young and the Washington football team generating sacks of Teddy Bridgewater at Denver this Sunday afternoon? Up next, we'll go in-depth on the Broncos as a welcome on Broncos insider Zach Stevens of the DNVR.com. He is the host of the DNVR Broncos podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, time now for a deep dive on the Washington football team's opponent this Sunday afternoon at 425, the Denver Broncos. What will Washington be facing in the Mile High City? Very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now, Denver Broncos insider Zach Stevens of the DNVR.com. He is the host of the DNVR Broncos podcast. Zach, it's nice to have you on, man. How are you? Hey, Al, thanks for having me on. And, you know, two teams that are struggling right now. Yes, uh, no question about that. So with the Broncos, they have lost four straight since their 3-0 and start. This does coincide with the Broncos' schedule stiffening. Is that what this four-game losing streak is most about, or is there a lot more 
to this Broncos four-game losing streak than just the schedule getting harder? Yeah, there's a lot more to the losing streak than just that. And it really comes as a surprise for the Broncos where this starts. Teddy Bridgewater hasn't been great during this four-game losing streak, but it's the defense that's really let the Broncos down. Look out. The defense is the highest-paid defense in the NFL. They have an NFL. Their, their NFL head coach is supposedly a defensive mastermind in Vic Fangio. And this defense has completely let this team down over the past couple of weeks and it, it has been very disappointing and it's been the pass defense and the run defense this pass defense they have the highest paid cornerback room the highest paid safeties the highest paid secondary and oh by the way they've got von miller as well and and they've just been getting no pressure they've been allowing lamar jackson to throw for 300 yards they've been allowing Derek carr to throw for nearly 400 yards and then case keenum their old quarterback was able to do whatever he wanted to him last week <laughs> it's funny hearing you detail the Broncos' struggling defense. Sounds a lot like Washington's struggling defense. With that Broncos defense, why is it struggling? It, it, it's it's everywhere. And now people haven't been able to, to put their finger on it. It's so bad, in fact, that Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson, th- those are two guys that have been together for three years now, one of the best safety duos in the NFL They're having communication issues, and it's coming out of nowhere. They didn't have communication issues their first year, their second year, and now in their third year, they're starting to have communication issues, and nothing's different. It's the same defense. It's the same defensive play caller. It's the same guy they're playing to next to them. Now, they do have a couple of new pieces in the cornerback room, but that really wasn't an issue the first couple of weeks of the season, and and you know one of them very well. Ronald Darby, he's back. He got injured in the Broncos' first game of the season, missed a couple of weeks, And the Broncos have had struggles at cornerback. Their best cornerback, and like I mentioned earlier, their best cornerback has been their rookie so far. And their their cornerback room is the highest paid in the NFL, yet Kyle Fuller, a free agent that they brought in from, from the Bears, has been so bad, he's just been completely flat out benched the past two games. He's played in two snaps. Ronald Darby, he's been beat deep the past couple of weeks time and time again. Uh, And then the Broncos do have a good slot cornerback in Bryce Callahan. But I mean, if the Broncos are going to do anything to stop Terry McLaurin, which has to be a big emphasis for them, you're putting the rookie on him in Pat Sertan, which is just crazy to say when you have multi $10 million cornerbacks on your team. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Ronald Darby because his replacement on Washington, William Jackson III, has not been good so far this season. So it's notable that Darby has struggled and is back to dealing with injury. So you brought up Teddy Bridgewater. To what extent, if at all, is Bridgewater in danger of being benched for Drew Locke? Well, this this will answer it all. Last week, Teddy Bridgewater, on Tuesday, when we talked to him uh, with our media availability, he was limping more than I've ever seen a player limp before during a game week before going and playing a game, and yet he still played in that game. Yesterday, he said he was at 70 to 75% going into that game, and they decided to go with an injured Teddy Bridgewater on a short week instead of going with their backup in Drew Locke. And look, during training camp, the quarterback competition out here was billed as, you know, it's 50-50. These are two both starting quarterbacks. We just have to choose the better option. The the Broncos, uh, the, the way they've handled this situation the past couple of weeks with Teddy not playing well and then also getting injured has showed that it's very different than that. In fact, it's proven that Teddy Bridgewater is their starting quarterback unless things go way off the rails. And now a lot of people would say a four-game losing streak is way off the rails, but I honestly have to think it, it gets to, you know, where the 
team is three and seven or four and eight before they really make a switch to Drew Locke. Uh, unfortunately, Drew is not working out for the Broncos here, and they're going to ride Teddy as long as they can. Talking Washington at Denver with Broncos insider Zach Stevens of the DNVR.com. He is the host of the DNVR Broncos podcast. So receiver Jerry Judy has missed the last six games. Looks like he'll make his return this Sunday. Lucky for Washington. Uh, What will the return of Judy mean for the Broncos offense? Yeah, it's going to be huge. And you look at the Broncos' other receiver, Cortland Sutton, who's having a fantastic year, over 500 yards as he's coming back from an ACL. But I'll tell you what, Jerry Judy in the offseason and in training camp was Teddy Bridgewater's favorite target by far. Because when you look at the type of quarterback Teddy Bridgewater is and the type of player Jerry Judy is, they match up perfectly together. Jerry Judy's a guy that's always open, very precise on his routes. And Teddy Bridgewater's a timing throw quarterback, whereas Drew Locke, more of a jump ball guy, so Cortland Sutton was more of his style, but Jerry Judy and Teddy Bridgewater had a fantastic chemistry when they were playing together this offseason and in training camp, so I think it's going to make the world of a difference for the Broncos, Uh, and and honestly, if Jerry Judy should be close to 100%, and if he is in this game, I would expect Jerry Judy to have a, a very big game and be Teddy Bridgewater's favorite target right away. How has the Broncos' offensive line been so far this season? Very disappointing. I'm sure a lot of teams say that in the NFL, but the Broncos offensive line going into the season was touted as being one of their best they've had uh, in nearly a decade. You have a very high paid left tackle in Garrett Bowles. You have a high paid right guard. uh, And then you have a second round and third round pick at your left guard and center there. And they have been very disappointing in both the run and pass protection. Uh, they're, they're, They're allowing pressure inside, outside. It's very hard for that offensive line to open up holes. Uh, in the running game. Whatever the Broncos are getting on the ground game is pretty much due to Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams uh, making some plays on their own. And so that's why this game, it does not line up well for the Broncos offense. I know Washington has, their defense has also disappointed, but man, that front four that you guys have is going to be very scary for this Broncos offensive line. Who or what has gone well for the Broncos this season? Who or what offers hope (laughs) for the Broncos the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Broncos' hope so far has been playing bad teams. They've done well, and that's what they had playing the Giants, the Jets, the Jags. Those are the Broncos' only three wins. But I, I did mention it. Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, the Broncos' one-two punch. They've split reps nearly 50-50 this season, and they've both been really good. What Melvin Gordon has provided for them has been nearly a consistent five yards per carry, and I mean, it's been very consistent. It's four yards. It's six. It's four. It's six. It's five. And Javante Williams, on the other hand, provides a very different aspect. He's one or two yards over and over again, and then he breaks one where he's carrying seven guys on his back for 30 yards, and it seems like he has a big play every single game. So I would bet that he's going to have another big play against Washington. It's just about containing him to one. Uh, and then I'm, I'm another guy, Cortland Sutton. He's had a very surprising, surprisingly good season. He was a pro bowler a couple seasons ago. Last year tore his ACL. This year, was expecting him to be good, but not great. And he's on pace for well over a thousand yards. Uh, and then one more guy to throw in there is, is a guy I mentioned, Pat Sertan. He's a guy where the Broncos went with him instead of going with Justin Fields, Mac Jones, or another quarterback in the draft. And boy, that pick is certainly being criticized right now, still in Broncos country, but the player is not. Pat Sertan looks like a true shutdown number one cornerback for many years to come.
Want to get your takes on some bigger picture items with the Broncos. So third season for Vic Fangio as Broncos head coach, 7-9 and nine in 2019, 5-11 last season, 3-4 and four so far this season. Is this a make or break season for Fangio as Broncos head coach or not necessarily? Without a doubt, it absolutely is. In fact, these next three games are really make or break. George Payton, the Broncos' new general manager, didn't hire Vic Fangio, but man, he's giving him every single benefit of the doubt. He gave him everything he wanted on the defensive side of the ball, including Ronald Darby in free agency. In the draft, used a pick to draft a cornerback instead of a cornerback. Uh, and, and now he really does not want to fire him midway through the season. But Al, if they lose two of the next three, three of the next three going into their bye week coming up in a few weeks, and they're on a seven-game slide or they're one and six after their 3-0 three, three and oh start, then Vic may not make it past that bye week. And also after the bye week, that's when the Broncos have to play the Chargers twice. They have to play the Chiefs put twice. They have to play the Raiders again. They have to play the Bengals. Their only easy game after the buys is the Detroit Lions. And the way Detroit's playing, at least they're playing with heart. We haven't seen the Broncos play with heart in a while now. So if Vic continues to lose games and lose this team, he may not even make it past the bye. So it's this is a this is almost a the Broncos have to get back to a winning record, be nine and eight for Vic to, to even think about keeping his job with the way these past four weeks have gone. You mentioned George Payton. What happened with John Elway? I mean, he for a while was the poster boy for an all-time great athlete becoming a great executive. Now he's in this ceremonial role of president of football operations. It's interesting. The Broncos on Sunday will be honoring Peyton Manning. From afar, it sure looks like Elway whiffing on quarterbacks after Peyton was the biggest problem. Was that, in fact, the case? Yeah, it, it definitely was the case. When, when Peyton Manning was perfect for John Elway. And I'm sure you could say that about a lot of GMs, but what Peyton Manning, uh, bringing Peyton Manning in, uh, and the Broncos would not have got Peyton Manning if it wasn't for John Elway. And that's important to say right off the top. But what John Elway was good at was then luring other big time free agents here. And John being, you know, one of the all time greats, being able to lure Peyton here, he was able to lure DeMarcus Ware, Aqib Tlaib, TJ Ward, Emmanuel Sanders, all of these high profile guys, Wes Welker, all of these great players he was able to lure in. That's what he was good at. He wasn't very good at drafting. And if you're not able to lure in the big time free agents with the help of one of the greatest all time quarterbacks with Peyton Manning right by you, then you need to draft well. And after Peyton left, uh, the, the high priced free agents weren't coming in. And then they missed on quarterbacks after quarterbacks after quarterbacks. And the biggest issue with it really was that John wasn't investing in quarterbacks. He used a second round pick on Brock Osweiler. We both know that using a second round pick is not a big investment in a quarterback. He spent $18 million a year in free agency on Case Keenum. That's like bargain price for a quarterback to bring in. And then you guys know the Broncos shipped him out because he to, to Washington because he was so bad with the Broncos in his one year. He used a fourth round pick uh, to trade for Joe Flacco. Those aren't big investments and the Broncos have not made that big investment at the quarterback position, which you have to do unless you just really want to luck out and hope you get Tom Brady in the sixth round. But only one team has been able to do that over the past hundred years in the NFL. So that's that's really where Broncos fans hope something changes with George Payton is that he's willing to invest in a quarterback. You don't find that that often in free agency where you land your franchise guy. So it's in the draft and it's it's being it's not being afraid to trade up in the first round and, and use a couple first round picks in order to do that. 
Excellent insight. Denver Broncos insider Zach Stevens of the DNVR.com, the host of the DNVR Broncos podcast. Really appreciate your time, Zach. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me on, Al. I really appreciate it. All right. It is that time. That time to rhyme. It is time for Rhyming Keys, as I will rhyme the path to victory for the Washington football team and its game at the Denver Broncos, Sunday afternoon at 425. These rhymes, they are not meant to be good. Uh, They are simply meant to make a few points. And in fact, I have a saying for this segment, the worse the rhyme, the better the time. And so here we go. Rhyming keys for the Washington football team at the Denver Broncos. How does Washington win this game? Let us rhyme the ways. Rhyming key number one. This is for the Washington football team as a whole, but especially the defensive linemen. Make sure you prepare for the mile-high air. As you likely know, Denver, Colorado is known as the mile-high city, and not just because the marijuana business has boomed in Colorado. Denver's official elevation is exactly one mile, 5,280 feet above sea level. That altitude can make things very tough for athletes. Cardio and conditioning are big deals for athletes in Denver. For those of you who follow MMA, a UFC fighter with a fight in Denver will go out there like weeks in advance to prepare for fighting in the altitude. Well, to what extent, if at all, Is the altitude going to impact Washington? I'm especially thinking about the big boys with this, the offensive and defensive linemen. Maybe they'll be fine. Hopefully they'll be fine. But keep in mind, especially with Washington's defensive linemen, Washington rotates them a lot. It's already the case that key Washington defensive linemen don't play nearly as much as you may think they do. Although, if you are a regular listener of this podcast, you probably know that already because I brought this up during my Tuesday shows this season when going over playtime percentages for Washington defensive players. But for instance, Montez Sweat has played on 72.8% of Washington's defensive snaps this season. Jonathan Allen, 70.5% of Washington's defensive snaps this season. Deron Payne, 75% of Washington's defensive snaps this season. Are these guys going to be just fine? Hopefully, and they may well be. But this is something to be thinking about. Are Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio going to have to rotate defensive linemen even more than normal? Or are the starters up to the task of playing a lot in the altitude? Here was Jack Del Rio on Thursday during his post-practice press conference on playing in the altitude. Remember, Jack was the Broncos defensive coordinator from 2012 through 2014. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll hydrate, rotate, you know, stay hydrated. Uh, best thing you can do individually. And then um, as a group, we, we like to roll our guys anyway. So, you know, we'll, we'll roll. Hydrate and rotate. There you go. Rhyming key number one for the Washington football team as a whole, but especially for Washington's defensive linemen. Make sure you prepare for the mile high air. Rhyming key number two for Washington at Denver. This is for Washington's defense. Be ready and play steady against Teddy. 
as in Teddy Bridgewater, of course. He doesn't scare me. He shouldn't scare you, but he is capable. So the Broncos have gone from three and doe to three and four. They've lost four straight. But Bridgewater during the three and doe start was quite good. Bridgewater during the three and doe start had four touchdown passes versus no interceptions, averaged 8.71 yards per pass attempt, and completed 76.8% of his passes. He was really good. Now, his numbers have cratered since then, in part because the Broncos' schedule has gotten much harder. But as we have seen with Washington's woeful pass defense this season, an opposing quarterback doesn't have to be great to do great. Washington, through Week 7 per Football Outsiders DVOA metric, was just 29th in the NFL in pass defense. This game on Sunday will be a nice test of this narrative, of which I am not a big fan, of Washington's defense having been better lately. Can this, will this Washington defense shut down a Broncos passing attack that has not been good at all lately? Now, the Broncos are expected to have receiver Jerry Judy back. He could be a problem for Washington's secondary. And I'm really interested to see how Washington's defense does on third downs. Uh, Washington through week seven, dead last in the NFL in third down defense. Washington's opponents this season have converted on a ridiculous 56.9% of third downs. However, the Broncos through week seven were just 27th out of 32 NFL teams in third down efficiency at 31 So this is a classic battle of suck versus suck. Washington's terrible third down defense versus the Broncos' terrible third down offense. The irresistible force versus the immovable object. Which one will prevail? Rhyming key number two for Washington's defense. Be ready and play steady against Teddy. And rhyming key number three for Washington at Denver. This is for Washington's passing game. Continue to make sick this defense of Coach Vic. Talking about the Broncos' defensive-minded head coach, Vic Fangio. You know, Fangio may be hanging by a thread right now as Broncos head coach. That certainly was the picture that was painted by Zach Stevens last segment. Fangio's Broncos this season have not been good defensively. The Broncos through week seven per DVOA, we're just 26th in the NFL in total defense, just 24th in the NFL in pass defense, and just 26th in the NFL in run defense. Washington's passing game has not been very productive in recent weeks for a variety of reasons. That needs to change. This game at the Broncos on Sunday is an opportunity for that change to take place. Taylor Heineke in the 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers last Sunday afternoon, was very impactful as a runner. That's when he is at his best. Let's see more of that. And if you have an opportunity to score a touchdown on a scramble or a design run, please cross the goal line. Thank you. Uh, I'm anxious to see what kind of a game that Terry McLaurin has on Sunday. So McLaurin in the loss at the Packers had seven receptions for 122 yards and a touchdown on 12 targets and playing on 92% of Washington's offensive snaps. Big numbers, obviously, but he also had a big drop. Late third quarter, third and two had the Packers three. McLaurin had a drop in the end zone on a Taylor Heineke shotgunning completion on a broken play. The Broncos' rookie corner, Patrick Sertan Jr., they took him with the number nine pick in the 2021 
NFL draft out of Alabama. He has been really good so far this season. Sertan for Pro Football Focus has allowed zero completions of 20 or more yards over 211 coverage snaps. Presumably, McLaurin will be seeing a lot of Sertan on Sunday. Who wins that matchup? But Washington has scored a total of just 45 points during this three-game losing streak. Way too few points, especially with a bad Washington defense. Let us see some offensive firepower on Sunday, especially against the Broncos defense that just has not been that good. And so rhyming key number three for Washington's passing game, continue to make sick this defense of Coach Vic. All right, prediction time. The line for this game for Caesar Sportsbook as of early Friday morning is Washington plus three. If Washington doesn't win this game, then things really could be about to get bad this season. I know that things already are bad, but we're talking about a special kind of bad if Washington loses this game, because who knows then when the next time that Washington will notch a victory will be. And so give me the team known as the Washington football team, plus the points. Washington wins 27-24 on a late field goal by Chris Blewett in the mile-high air. All right, we turn our attention now to college football, Goldilocks, for week nine of the college football season. You have heard of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. This is Goldilocks, my weekly college football picks against the spreads for Maryland, Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. 14-12 and 12 is the overall record on the season. All odds are courtesy of Caesars Sportsbook as of very early Friday morning. Here we go. Goldilocks, game number one, Maryland home to Indiana, Saturday at noon. The Terrapins are minus five and a half. This is Maryland's homecoming game. Is this homecoming game going to work out as well as, say, Virginia Tech's homecoming game against Pitt, or as well as the Washington football team's homecoming game against the Kansas City Chiefs? We shall see. Uh, Terrapins fell to four and three with a 34-16. Loss at Minnesota last Saturday. Terps are coming off their bye week. Two weeks with which the Terps could, you know, reflect on their recent struggles, work on the recent struggles, rest up. And despite that, the Terps suffered a third consecutive blowout loss off their 4-0 star. Terps got outscored in the second half, 17-6. The Terps' defense was horrendous. The Terps allowed Minnesota running backs Kai Thomas and Marquise Irving to combine for 36 carries for 244 yards and two touchdowns. Terps got outrushed 326-79. Terps are without receivers Dante Demas Jr. and Jayshon Jones, each guy done for the season due to a leg injury. And so the Terps passing game just is not doing much right now. Quarterback Talia Tungabailoa in that loss at Minnesota, 17-27 for just 189 yards, seven yards per pass attempt. Did have a touchdown pass, did have no interceptions, was sacked twice, also had a first quarter loss fumble, and the Terps were undisciplined. They had eight accepted penalties for 79 yards. Indiana is not good. Indiana's two and five, uh, has had a brutal schedule. Each of IU's five losses has been against a ranked team, but the two wins for the Hoosiers this season, a home victory over Idaho and a road win against Western 
Kentucky. Now, the Hoosiers have not been that bad defensively, but they have been bad offensively. Indiana through week eight, just a hundred second in the FBS in offensive efficiency for ESPN. The public is actually all over the Terps. The line for this game has gone from Maryland minus two and a half or thereabouts to Maryland minus five and a half. Terps need to win this game because they're probably not going to win any of the next three games, which are home to number 20 Penn State, at number eight Michigan State, and home to number six Michigan. It's impossible to trust the Terps right now, but I'm going to play them anyway, because if Maryland can't beat Indiana at Maryland's homecoming game, then what exactly are we doing here with head coach Mike Loxley? So give me Maryland minus five and a half. Thank you, Snoop. Goldilocks game number two, Virginia at number 25, BYU, Saturday night at 10.15. The Cavaliers are plus two and a half. A late night affair for Wahoo Virginia improved to six and two with a 48-40 win over Georgia Tech at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville last Saturday night. Cavs won their fourth consecutive game, improved to 4-2 in the ACC off an 0-2 start in conference play. The Wahoos overcame a 13-0 first quarter deficit as their offense was sensational. Uh, the Hoos amassed 636 total net yards of offense, averaged 8.7 yards per play, went 7 of 11 on third downs. UVA's defense was abysmal. That is true. Uh, UVA allowed Georgia Tech to rack up 570 total net yards of offense. But still, this was another Virginia win. And thanks to Cavs quarterback, Brennan Armstrong, who had another outstanding performance. Armstrong, 29 of 43, for 396 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. He took just one sack. He had 12 carries for 99 yards and two touchdowns. Armstrong's 99 rushing yards, the most by a UVA player so far this season. And he had the 99 rushing yards despite having dealt with a knee injury this season. Brennan Armstrong through week eight was number one in the FBS in passing yards at 3,220, was number 15 in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR at 76.2, and had 23 touchdown passes versus six interceptions. You look at BYU, BYU is 6-2, and two, did just have a two-game losing streak, but that ended with a 21-19 win at Washington State last Saturday. This is a tough spot for Virginia. Its offense is great, and BYU's defense is not great, but BYU can move the football, and the Cavs' defense remains a major concern. Uh, this is a road game that is thousands of miles away from Charlottesville. This is not a game that the Hoos have to win and so give me BYU minus two and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Goldilocks game number three, Virginia Tech at Georgia Tech. Saturday at noon, the Hokies are plus four. Oh, what awaits Tech head coach Justin Fuente this Saturday. Things are crumbling for him. He more and more is looking like fired coach coaching. Virginia Tech fell to 3-4 and four with a 41-36 loss to Syracuse at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg last Saturday afternoon. A terrible loss for the Hokies. Hokies were facing a Syracuse team that came into the game 0-3 in the ACC. The Hokies got outscored in the fourth quarter 21-10 in losing their third consecutive game. Tech's defense was horrendous. 
in this game. Tech allowed Syracuse to go 7-16 on third downs and 4-4 four of four on fourth downs. Tech allowed Syracuse to finish with 314 rushing yards and four rushing touchdowns on just 45 carries. That's 6.98 yards per carry. Uh, Hokies offense was pretty good. I mean, I thought good enough to win. Hokies quarterback Braxton Burmeister was mixed, just 10 of 20 passing, but he threw for 177 yards. That's not bad on 20 pass attempts. Had a touchdown pass, no interceptions, did take three sacks, but the Hokies ran the ball really well. Hokies running back Malachi Thomas, 21 carries for 151 yards and three touchdowns. Hokies running back Raheem Blackshear had 10 carries for 78 yards, but Tech still lost the game. Georgia Tech is coming off its 48-40 loss at Virginia last Saturday night. Yellow Jackets are three and four. They're certainly not a very good team, but they showed that they can move the football against a bad defense in Virginia's, and a bad defense is what Virginia Tech has. The Hokies through week eight were number 82 in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN to go with being number 83 in the FBS in offensive efficiency per ESPN. That's a bad combo. Also, the public is on Virginia Tech for this game, and yet the line has moved to giving more points to the Hokies. That is reverse line movement, my friends, an indication of sharp money on Georgia Tech. And so give me the rambling wreck of Georgia Tech minus four. Make money, money, make money, money, money. All right, Snoop. And then Goldilocks, game number four is a game on Friday night. Navy at Tulsa, Friday night at 7.30. The midshipmen are plus 11. So Navy fell to one and six with a 27-20 loss to then number two, Cincinnati at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis last Saturday. Very admirable effort put forth by Navy, especially on defense. Navy was facing the number two team in the Associated Press poll as a 28-point underdog or thereabouts, and the midshipmen actually led in the second quarter 10-7 and won the fourth quarter 10-0. The mids held Cincinnati quarterback Desmond Ritter to just 176 yards on 30 pass attempts, 5.87 yards per pass attempt. The mids did give up a third quarter 43-yard touchdown run to Cincinnati running back Jerome Ford, but otherwise held them to just 47 yards on 14 carries, 3.36 yards per carry. Ford came into the game averaging 6.95 yards per carry over 102 carries this season. Look, this is not a good Navy team this season, but that was a valiant effort that was put forth against Cincinnati. Tulsa is just three and four, although the Golden Hurricane has won three of its last four games. Tulsa doesn't have anyone or do anything that really scares you, and yet Tulsa is minus 11. Seems odd doesn't it? The public is all over Navy, and yet the line for this game has gone from Navy plus 10 or thereabouts to Navy plus 11. Again, that is reverse line movement, an indication of sharp money on Tulsa. I don't know about you, but I follow the sharp money. In life, you should be a leader, not a follower, except when it comes to sharp money. Always follow the sharp money. And so give me Tulsa minus 11. Make money, money, make money, money, money. All right, so Maryland minus five and a half, BYU minus two and a half, Georgia Tech minus four, Tulsa minus 11. Those are your Goldilocks for college football week nine.
Well, I talked on Thursday's show, episode 176, about how I am so liking this Wizards team. And I tell you what, that like got increased even more on Thursday night as the Wizards improved to 4-1 and with a 122-111 win over the Atlanta Hawks at Capital One Arena. The Wizards are 4-1. and This is their best five-game start since going 4-1 and to begin the 2014-2015 regular season. We are not used to the Wizards getting off to good starts to seasons. The Wizards routinely have not gotten off to good starts to seasons, but this season is different. Wes Unsell Jr. is doing an outstanding job as Wizards head coach. Understand the circumstances for Thursday night. The Wizards were playing the second game of a back-to-back. Now, so too were the Hawks, should say that, but the Wizards were without a number of key players, and yet the Wizards still beat a good Hawks team. The Hawks made the Eastern Conference Finals last season. The Wizards on Thursday night were without Spencer Dinwiddie. He did not play due to rest, as uh, this was, as I said, second game of a back-to-back. And remember, Dinwiddie underwent surgery to repair a partially torn right ACL this past January 4th. He suffered the injury last December 27th. So the Wizards were without Dinwiddie. The Wizards were without Daniel Gafford. He did not play on Thursday night due to a right quad contusion that was suffered in the 116-107 win at the Boston Celtics on Wednesday night. The Wizards remained without Rui Hachimura, who has yet to play this season off him having missed the start of Wizards training camp due to personal reasons, and the Wizards remained without Thomas Bryant. He has yet to play this season as he continues to recover from a season-ending, partially torn left ACL that was suffered this past January 9th, and yet the Wizards beat the Hawks. In fact, the Wizards never trailed after the first quarter. Again, Wes Unsell Jr. is doing an outstanding job as Wizards head coach. Here he was during his post-game press conference. You know, we even talked about it after the game. We're, we're not satisfied, nor should we be. It's, you know, early in the season. It's great that we can get those wins, get off to the right start. That was a point of emphasis for us starting uh, back in September and in the training camp preseason. So it's good that we've done that, but we still have a ton of work to do. So uh, we take the wins. It's okay to win ugly, but, you know, it's, uh, we can't afford to be satisfied. No, you can't. More good defense from the Wizards on Thursday night. They held the Hawks to just 6 of 21 on threes. Now, the Hawks did go 42 of 67 on twos. The Wizards allowed John Collins to go 14 of 16 from the field, all twos. But the Wizards' three-point defense, which was so bad last season, has been so much better so far this season. Wizards held Trey Young on Thursday night to just 1 of 5 on threes. Uh, Bradley Beal, he went just one of four on threes, but he went 10 of 22 on twos and finished with 27 points, eight assists versus one turnover and eight rebounds in 37 minutes, 43 seconds as a starter. Good game for Bradley Beal, who has not been great so far offensively, but he was good on Thursday night. Beal had a nasty driving right-handed dunk from the half-court circle in the fourth quarter for a 109-97 Wizards lead. If you watch the game, Capital One Arena erupted on that play. What a play by Beal. Here was Wes Jr. during his post-game press conference on Beal's dunk. No, those are big plays. You know, it's not just for us, but the gets the building going. And then we feed off that. Uh, so just to see him be explosive, get downhill. You know, those guys have played a lot of minutes. And the fact that he still had you know, enough in the tank to make a play like that is huge.
Yeah, Montrez Harrell had another big game for the Wizards on Thursday night. So he started with Daniel Gafford out and Harrell in exactly 34 minutes as a starter. Check out these numbers. 25 points on 10 of 16 shooting, 13 rebounds, including six offensive boards, five assists versus no turnovers, two steals, and a game best plus minus rating of plus 16. You cannot say enough about Montrez Harrell so far. He has been the Wizards MVP during this 4-1 start. The Wizards on Thursday night finished with 14 offensive rebounds to the Hawks' six. Harrell had nearly half of the Wizards' offensive rebounds and having six offensive boards. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope was very good on Thursday night. Five of seven on threes, finished with 21 points and eight rebounds in 29-57 as a starter. Kyle Kuzma went just two of six on threes and just three of six on free throws, but he also went six of 11 on twos, finished with 21 points, eight rebounds, and three steals in 39-50 as a starter. All of these key guys who the Wizards got in that five-team mega trade that included sending Russell Westbrook to the Los Angeles Lakers this past offseason are producing here, you know, especially Harold. Like, I cannot say enough about Montrez Harrell. Uh, also, the Wizards got back whole Neto for Thursday night. He was back from a one-game absence caused by left shoulder contusion, and he was productive. 23 minutes, 49 seconds off the bench, five assists versus no turnovers, six points on three of seven shooting, and five rebounds. Yeah, I keep bringing up a lot of assists versus no turnovers. The Wizards for the game finished with 26 assists versus nine turnovers. Wizards took care of the basketball, defended, rebounded well. There is just so much to like right now with the Wizards. Heck, Davies Bertans got in on the act on Thursday night, three of six on threes in 1847 off the bench. Next up for the Wizards, home to the Boston Celtics, Saturday evening at five. All right, that will do it for you and me. But just for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 178, will be a Washington football team postgame show off whatever happens in Washington's game at the Denver Broncos on Halloween Sunday afternoon. I'll also postgame the college football weekend with Maryland, Indiana, Virginia, BYU, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, at Navy Tulsa, and I'll have some thoughts for you on the Capitals and the Wizards. The Caps will be home to the Arizona Coyotes Friday night at 7. The Wiz will host the Boston Celtics Saturday evening at 5. Have a great weekend. We say hail to the Burgundy and the Gold, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Jack, you mentioned that you liked what you saw out of Danny Johnson in Green Bay. Yeah. Do you have to figure out a way to keep him on the field if, if William Jackson's back this week against Denver? Uh, no. 